Welcome to the Power of Advice series brought to you by Zurich Life Insurance in the Middle East. We're collaborating with industry leaders to educate our audience about the need and the power of financial advice so you can take optimistic action and secure your financial future. Welcome to the Power of Advice podcast. Uh, this is a podcast series uh, launched by Zurich Middle East. And this month's podcast is special because we're here in Bahrain. Today, I'm joined by Hussein Ali, Head of Compliance for Zurich Middle East. Yeah, Welcome, hi. Hussein. Hi. And Rod Aldridge, the General Manager of Nexus Financial Services, our key distribution partner in Bahrain. I'm thrilled you could join us. Thank you very much for coming today. So they wanted to start with some quick fire questions. I'm going to give you an option of two if you could tell me your preference. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee? Coffee. Unit link protection or pure protection? Depends. Pure protection for me. Cats or dogs? Dogs. 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 I have two dogs. (laughs) Dubai or Bahrain? Bahrain. Bahrain. Face-to-face or Teams meetings? Face-to-face-to-face. Books or movies? Movies. Movies? Books. Books? Books for me, yeah. For savings, would you prefer a percentage of your income or a fixed amount every month? Fixed. Fixed. Fixed? Yeah. Start work late or leave early? Both. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start late. Emails or text messages? Text. Yeah, probably text. Yeah. Text? Yeah, yeah. Angry colleague or angry client? Oh, I love an angry colleague. Angry colleague? <laughs> oh, yes. I'll take an angry client. Angry client. Digital advice, human or mixed? Mixed for me. Yeah, mixed. Okay, thank you. So this is the Power of Advice series, where our objective is to share the importance of financial advice and financial sustainability. Hussein and Rod, you're both veterans in the field here. Can I ask you, where did it all start? You want to go, Rod? Yeah, I can go, yeah. You're the veteran here in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Uh, 31 years ago it started. 31 years? Yeah, I uh, I, I joined... Um, a company called Acuma in the UK back in 1990. Actually, it's nearly 32 years ago. Scary. Um, 25 years in the UK. And, and I guess that was all on the direct side of the business. So it wasn't until I moved back to the Middle East that I sort of became a, a broker as such. Um, so I'd always worked for companies like Zurich and the Pru and Standard Life, etc. So I guess my introduction to Zurich was when I sort of came here um, as a as a broker, and I've been here now for the last well in the Middle East for the last eight nine years. That's a long time. Yeah, reasonable it length is, of time. It is yeah. a long time. Yeah. And Hussein, where did it all start for you? Well, uh, as a Bahrain native, obviously I was always in Bahrain, uh, but um, I um, I was always, since I've started my employment, it was always in compliance and it was always in insurance. Uh, so uh, I, um, I did work for a number of regional insurers here locally in Bahrain. Um, I've had a number of regional roles between the Middle East um, in various aspects of insurance where I freely got acquainted with the life insurance industry with, with my employment with Zurich when it started in 2014. 
Um, I originally started uh, as the compliance officer for Bahrain and Qatar uh, when I started my role in 2014. Uh, Jared gave me the opportunity to take over the Middle Eastern uh, compliance team um, just around 2017. And here we are in 2022, still in compliance and still in Zurich. I didn't know that because I went to Qatar in 2014. That's where I started. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So you were there. I was. Following Rod round. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. And so um, you've obviously both worked with a lot of regions. Would you say there's anything in particular in the Bahraini market that makes the customer unique? I think, uh, well, I don't know whether this is unique specifically to, to, to Bahrain. It might be unique to the region to a degree. But um, again, I suppose I'm, because of my experience in the UK, where clients are, they've had so much more information given to them over the years. Um, and they've got so much opportunity to research stuff and all the rest of it. So when you go and see somebody in the UK, they probably know as much as you do. Um, and they'll ask you questions just to to test your knowledge and all the rest of it to make sure you're the right person to deal with. Um, here, there's a for me, it's much more an educational piece. There's a lot of I think there's a long way to go before people here have got the same level of knowledge that that they have in the UK. We found that actually with some customer focus groups we ran this week. When they were aware of the products and the services, they were very interested and actually wanted to book appointments to talk about it. But their awareness prior was quite low for some people. For others, they knew a lot about it and had products. Um, But yeah, it was really interesting to see how keen they were once they were aware. But like you say, there's the original awareness and education piece. And for you, Hussein? I think if, if we look at it from a regional point of view, there is an interesting demographic here in, in Bahrain comparative to other places in the GCC where I think uh, there's, first of all, from, um, from uh, an earning point of view, there's a true middle class here in Bahrain where you, you don't necessarily see that in other, in other countries in the GCC. Also, the, the demographic split in between... Um, locals versus expats. It's probably closer to equivalence here in, in Bahrain than other places um, in, in the region. Um, but I think um, also in terms of the knowledge towards the life insurance product in general, um, I think there's a significant amount of reliance. And this is probably not unique to Bahrain, but probably generally in the GCC. There's a, for, for natives at least, there's a, a level of reliance on government and what kind of what government could provide you um, compared to actually owning your financial well-being, which I think is now a growing concept, uh, looking at uh, the, f- the, the phased introduction to, uh, to concepts such as VAT and tax and et cetera, and also um, probably lowering the, the government intervention in normal economic uh, activities within the country. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I mean, that's particularly true for Gosi, isn't it? Because yeah, it's changed absolutely. so much. True. Um, What's Gosi? It's for me? effectively the state pension for right. um, for for nationals. Okay. And it's a bit like the state pension in the UK. It's just it's getting to a point where people have to retire later. There's not as you have to do more years' work to get the full pension, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So 
I guess the locals, as you say, they're becoming more aware that they need to do something for themselves. And another thing um, that had been mentioned was the introduction of VAT, but also the um, the want and awareness of getting the private medical cover as well here, and that actually um, the life insurance and critical illness cover that we provide can help them with that, even though it's not a medical insurance. Um, And they were quite interested in understanding what that meant, whether they could get autonomy over what they then did with that money, and that could potentially give them more freedom around what they do with those sorts of payouts than being tied into a medical provider. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's always been a general, uh, maybe misunderstanding is the wrong word, but but a, a confusion as to where medical cover comes in and where critical illness cover comes in. Um, and I guess well, you know one of our jobs is to make sure that clients understand that that um, you know one pays the bills effectively, and the other one you do have the freedom to to, to do as you wish with it. So. And then so, is there a particular case that springs to mind for you where you've provided value to an end customer? Uh, Yes. Um, My sister-in-law died when she was 38 from cancer. So I happened to be her advisor at the time. I'd sold her some critical illness cover. Um, So she was able to pay the mortgage off. So I knew that my brother-in-law and the kids and all the rest of it could... uh, you know, carry on living in the property, et cetera. So, and that was quite early on in my career. I was, I was probably only three or four years into the industry. And that, that's when you sort of realize how much of a difference you can make to people's lives. I mean, wow, okay, yeah. that's specific to me because that was family. But, yeah. you know, there are so many other examples of that. And I think it's uniquely human right? A lot of these things that you remember about how insurance has impacted people's lives can be in those times that are the darkest. So they stay with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, So... Moving on to the past three to five years, we have seen significant changes in Bahrain, but also in society. We've had COVID um, and we've seen specifically this market be very adaptable. So how have your teams coped with these changes and what have you done? Okay, so uh, from my point of view, um, I think uh, the the level of um, technological capacity that Zurich had was good. Um, I think it allowed us to adapt very quickly to to, orga- to, to, to changes such as COVID um, uh, and, um, and uh, the social distancing uh, arrangements that we had to go through. Um, I think we were still operating. We were still able to actually uh, deal with our stakeholders, our intermediaries, our customers. Um, I think... Obviously, it did require a lot of investment of effort to for us to adjust because obviously it was a significant adjustment. But um, knowing the horror stories that were out there, um, I think it was probably um, a more convenient adaptation for us in Zurich um, in comparison to what we've heard out there, I guess. 
Yeah, I imagine that bringing things like AML and making sure that we had digital <clears throat> copies and access from a compliance perspective was key. That's correct. Uh, and to be fair to both FATF and uh, our regulators, they were also adaptive. So they were giving us guide, guidance. They were uh, issuing uh, guidance documents. Um, they were receptive uh, to us creating a solution and then providing guidelines to whether it actually meets the regulatory standards. Um, I think, uh, as I said, I think uh, it, was a, it was a difficult period. However, it was a period of collaboration where we've seen various uh, aspects of the industry collaborate with one another to make sure that the industry continues working. And in the end, if somebody did really need an insurance product or required an insurance service, they did get it regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, so meeting the needs as a necessity was key. Indeed. And for you, Rod? Slightly, I guess it's a slightly different journey for us. We weren't really very digitally uh, advanced, I think, as a company. Um, obviously, what we do is face-to-face and, and always has been. Uh, most of the guys that work for, for Nexus, or a lot of them have been there for 15, 20 years. So they've just got used to the way they do things. And so it was a, it was a huge change to suddenly not be able to see people face-to-face. Yeah. Um, so we had to, I mean, I got, interestingly, I got stuck in the UK for four months at the beginning oh, wow. of COVID. So I was having to sort of do all this from, from abroad. So Zoom became, you know, a big thing. I don't really like Teams. I know you guys use it, but I don't <laughs> like it. Um, so I, we, we had to use Zoom a lot. And then obviously that's what, became the sort of um, communication with the clients was all over Zoom. But we had to change all of our, what was effectively just paper documentation, all the application forms, fact finds, et cetera, et cetera. We had to change all of those into uh, editable PDF documents Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. And so we had, effectively, we had to sort of start from scratch to to a degree and then get the guys to adapt to something that was completely alien to them. And live and changing. I yeah. think it's really yeah. f- interesting when we reflect on those times now, but in the moment, we did not necessarily have all of the information to plan like a strategic course of how to deal with it. It was that very just much... happened, didn't it? Yeah. It all very yeah. much just happened. I think you're yeah. correct. There's no fire drill to what we had. There was no fire uh, drill. Uh, we had exactly. to experience it as we go along. But I think one of the probably good things that you take away from this, it, um, it forced um, the, the various stakeholders in the industry and perhaps the, the general population to adopt technology, um, to let go of a lot of the stigma that comes with technology. Um, I know that yeah. um, it, it is easier today to discuss automation um, or even to consider regulatory guidelines, for example, from an automation point of view compared to to having that discussion pre, pre-COVID. Oh, definitely. Yeah. My conversations have dramatically changed. So, like, trying to lead digital transformation on behalf of Zurich is now seen much, well, received really differently Indeed. than it was, you know, I'm, not, I'm no longer saying words or ha- talking about, you know, even the preferences in messaging or meeting, um, meeting, technology it people have their own digital preferences now whereas before that was a bit of a select few or those early adopters and now everybody knows what they like 
expected. And I, I think, and don't like. It, and, and that's very true. And I think uh, it really establishes digital capacity and technology as part, uh, probably even a cornerstone of being sustainable. And I think uh, we've had a true experience of where you need to be sustainable. And thankfully, we did sustain. But now we know what it takes to sustain. And I think digital and technology is a big part of it. And we also had ZPro already in place yes. uh, in in Dubai and in the Middle Eastern market. And then later it came to Bahrain, uh, which is obviously our end-to-end digital solution for quotes and applications. How did your team receive that in the market? And have you seen any changes in how customers interact with you because of that tool? Uh, I'll answer the second part first. We haven't had much experience of it with the clients as yet. We've, we've, We've had a few, but it's only... It actually only effectively became mandatory from the 1st of November. So we're, we're very early days. But um, I think the initial reaction, although we'd had it for a while, nobody had taken it out. Right. Um, but obviously now that effectively we've said, as of X date, this is what you're going to do. We've had a lot of training sessions, et cetera. I think because they'd sort of got used to the Zoom changes and all the other bits and pieces we'd had to change, um, it was an easier transition than it might have been. More of a natural progression. Yeah, I, I, I think so, yeah. And from a compliance perspective, it obviously changed the game slightly. Oh, um, obviously, yes. So um, naturally so, from a compliance point of view, we're a little biased towards control. So I think it provides... Uh, <laughs> a bit. Uh, yeah, so it does provide a more controlled environment, which yeah. we obviously like in our function. Um, but, uh, but more importantly, I think it creates efficiencies where the compliance friction is not as noticeable as it used to be. I think it it allows us to create uh, opportunities where going through the right and the compliance, the compliant way of processing a particular transaction does without creating that traditional friction of going through it itself. I think it's very valuable for us. Um, you might be surprised, but obviously in compliance, we do care about the customer experience. And I think uh, I think having a more efficient customer experience is one that we are really happy with. Oh, definitely. And I think even just creating the visibility of that pipeline into compliance and the approvals has been really Indeed. impressive Indeed. and all ultimately to benefit the customer who gets Indeed. things quicker. Indeed. Yeah, I guess, I guess the question for me is mm. always around ZPro. I know we've got from our perspective, but there are still a number of clients out there who aren't at that point. And, you know, some of them don't even have Wi-Fi and, and things like that. So it's not just adapting from our perspective, but we've got to help the clients through that change as well, which is... And one of the pieces of feedback we've seen in Dubai, which will be interesting to whether your team get it here, is that when it's presented with them, because often it's in the session that they can see it, they then have access to those documents either by email or live in the session. They can see those tailored quotes. They then get an appreciation of the types of questions that the financial advisor is asking and why, Mm. and then why um, things are sent off to teams like compliance to make sure that everything's in line with what... It's just more visible, the the process yeah. Yeah. and when it's visible you can understand it rather yeah. than well that's true. disappeared for two days Obviously. where's that gone and so it'll be interesting to see whether you get that here as mm. well but yeah. you're totally right it's two-sided it's firstly your team's adoption of it but of then how do your customers respond to it as yeah. well Indeed. 
You mentioned earlier, Hussein, the changing nature of um, the government here in Bahrain. Yes. Do you want to elaborate a bit more? Yeah, I think, I think look, um, it's inherent in the industries that we've seen growing and thriving in Bahrain since probably the last three or four years. But the Bahrain government had a focus um, in regards to, first of all, being... Um, uh, an ind- uh, a country that nurtures and uh, creates capabilities around fintech and around technologic- technological capab- capabilities within the financial industry. Even regtech has seen a lot of growth here uh, in, in Bahrain. And I think it's all aligned to the 2030 vision of the Crown Prince, which, uh, which looks into sustainability, it looks into a paperless future, and it also looks into um, making Bahrain a technological capable country. And I think uh, a big part of that is creating that uh, platform that allows these technological capabilities to be nurtured um, within Bahrain. We've seen some of the uh, some of the new concepts that are taking the world um, starting from Bahrain. So things such as crypto exchanges, uh, things like uh, financial wallets, um, fintech uh, automation of of uh, of of payment settlement all of this where bahrain have provided solutions which are currently probably considered as a benchmark within the region um, and uh, i think it all goes back to the as i said the vision of the government uh, but it also um, is worth considering that the regulators here locally were open they did not stifle the imagination when it came when it came to automation or um, or investment in technology. Otherwise, they've actually created regulatory, regulatory guidelines. There are actual regulatory rule books that actually uh, govern uh, fintechs and govern uh, technological financial service providers here in Bahrain. This is a concept that is probably not even considered in other, in other locations or, regula- uh, or, or regulators. And I think all of that all contributes to the ability of creating that infrastructure that allows these... Uh, these advancements to, to, to be nurtured and to actually advance into maturity in the near future. I agree. And what I particularly like about some of the infrastructure and the apps and the services that have been introduced, none of them stereotypically look like government apps, no. right? They all are designed flawlessly. Indeed. Their customer journeys are short, they're simple, and it could even easily be from a private provider. Um, And that's really struck me as something unique to hear. Absolutely. And I think even if you look at the KPIs that the government are looking at, they're looking at customer experience, they're looking at happy scores uh, uh, in Bahrain. Um, All of that only translates to one thing, that the customer experience is important. It's not only the actual control in that government technology that is really presented. And has that impacted your team a lot? No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say so. Not really. Um, I mean, just generally, I find the whole. And I guess this is across the whole of the Gulf region, but the, the fact that everything is sort of linked to your phone number and it's something we don't have in the UK. Yeah. It, it's it's it is unique, and, and and it's I think it's just brilliant because you're in control of everything whenever you whenever you need it. And as you say, I mean these the various apps, even the COVID apps and all that sort of stuff. I, you know, I, I thought it was fantastic. And I think when we come back to that second half of the customer's experience with the digital journeys, the expectation and the level of quality that customers expe- expect from Bahrain, I think is really yeah. high, really high, because they're almost spoiled with the other apps and, like you say, the control they have and visibility. Okay, so my final question is, 
what is your advice for any aspiring financial advisors looking to get into this career? It's a very simple one. I've, I've recruited hundreds and hundreds of advisors over the years. Um, and the one thing I've always said to all of them is they, they need to actually care about what they do. They need to want to help their clients. If they, if they come into the industry with that vision, thought, process, whatever, then I, for me, there's a really good chance that they'll be successful because they'll do the job for the right reasons rather than just doing it for financial reasons. That's, that's the piece of, the, well, not the piece of advice, but the discussion I've always had with, with people who want to come into this industry. Sounds really, it's really um, human, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah I, I guess. But it is, it's a human industry, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what do we do as financial advisors? We help clarify people's goals, objectives. They might have them sort of somewhere in their head, but they probably haven't ever sat down with somebody and had a, a sort of deep and meaningful discussion about what retirement looks like. It's 40 years away or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, you know, have you ever considered what happens to your family if you drop dead tomorrow? Or th- those conversations don't happen in real life. Mm. So for me, that's that's the difference that the sort of financial advisor can make. Um, and like you say, if they're so, doing it for the right reason, yeah. it'll be the right yeah, conversation. Absolutely. If you're just doing it from a script, yeah, it, it doesn't really have the same... Impact and, and yeah, and you don't build the trust and, and everything else. So, yeah. brilliant. And Hussein, for anyone looking to get into compliance, I think it's probably the same. So, Rod, thank you for stealing my thunder. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think, look, it all starts and ends with the customer, right? The reason for the need of compliance is making sure that the customer is safeguarded. Uh, the, need, the reason for insurance is making sure that the customer is serviced, that, and we need to probably recognize that what we are selling is a promise to the customer, right? Um, I think if if we focus on the customer, then you're probably bound to eventually get it right if you're not getting it right already. Um, But in addition as well, I think it's important that for that promise to really, for that promise to become valuable for that customer, you need to be trustworthy and you need to be holding the right reputation for that for that uh, promise to mean anything. Um, So I think uh, this goes to compliance, but probably even beyond, even to advisors and even to the uh, insurance industry in in general. Um, I think we have a burden of being trustworthy for for our customers because our promise needs to be valuable and without being trustworthy, uh, our our promise doesn't value to anything. So intent and integrity are key. Oh, without a doubt. I think I, th- I think from in any organisation, whether it be Zurich or whether it be Nexus or other brokers, providers, whatever, you just you need to have from the top down. You have to put the customer first, and if you do that right from the top, then it'll work. Oh, wonderful! Thank you so much for joining me, guys. This has been our Buffrain episode of the Power of Advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You.